0: i my God, is still cold! The Hellraiser is full! Here we go! Evolution of the Shield! John Cena versus the her. Hulk Hogan and The Rock in the same ring! You will never take my place at the head of the table! Undertaker! With a Haskell submission! Oh my God! What? My God, Michaels! Just kick Cena's head off! The It'll be the Raw! It'll be Austin one on one. Third and five. Oh. Do you believe in Miracle? The streak
1: is over. Hey guys, what's up? And welcome back to WWE Retro here on the WWE podcast on this Friday, June eleventh, as or actually Saturday, June eleventh, as I am one day late today. And I know I've probably brought this up several times over the last few weeks, but. If you've ever been involved in moving, going to the notary and trying to book moving trucks and packing and all that, you know how hectic it could be, but uh, completely my bad for uh, just completely forgetting to get this out on Friday, but the important thing is that I am here and we are here to talk about retro, and after last week covering Evolution, I got to thinking about another stable that I think was, in the last 20 years the most important group, faction, stable, whatever you want to call it, in WWE. And that's The Shield. Because The Shield, along with The Rock's return in 2011, is what really got me back into wrestling. If you've been listening to me for the last, oh my god, three years since I started working on this podcast with Matt, crazy to think about. I remember the first show I ever did. Uh, back in May of 2019, but if you've listened to me long enough, you know that I stopped rest- watching wrestling rather for about a three to four year period between late 07, early 08, and the beginning of 2011, and even in 2011 when The Rock came back, I didn't start following it religiously, I would tune in here and there, especially in the summer of 2011, the summer of CM Punk. Uh, when Triple H first kind of transitioned into that uh, managerial role, when you had the walkout, Kevin Nash came back for that whole scandal with the text from Triple H. And I was kind of tuning in and out after The Rock came back. Obviously, he came back for his first match at Survivor Series against the the True Miz, our <laughs> truth of the Miz, tagging with John Cena. And then quickly moving into 2012 where he would face off against John Cena in the main event of WrestleMania 28. And WrestleMania 28, one of the more underrated WrestleManias in the last two decades or so, I thought was probably the best WrestleMania I had seen since probably WrestleMania 20. You know, the end of an era match, Punk versus Jericho, all that. But I still had a hard time getting into it on a week-to-week basis because The Rock wasn't there on a week-to-week basis. Now, of course, The Rock was in and out, and he would come back sporadically over that two-year run uh, from early 2011 to early 2013, and that's something I will cover somewhere down the line as well. But it was at Survivor Series 2012, where we had the debut of a group that just for whatever reason caught my attention right off the bat and I was hooked from the onset. So they interfere in the main event of the world championship match, or at that time it was the WWE championship as the belts were not yet unified, uh, in a triple threat match between John Cena, CM Punk, and Ryback. And they attack Ryback and give him a triple powerbomb through the announce table. And this was right around Ryback's like, pretty big push right off the hop. And I think it was too much too soon. Obviously, we know Ryback has quickly become one of the more dislikable wrestling faces on the internet. Kind of a laughing stock. You know, he's really embraced his own big guy Ryback gimmick. But they come in and they immediately make an impression. And I think the look of them was really cool. The SWAT look. Kind of like the Rebels Without a Cause type of thing. But that's the way it came off initially. And we quickly started to hear about what this group was about. And their demeanor, the way they acted, is the first thing that got me hooked in. But it was when they really started talking about what their mission was, is where I thought, man, these guys are for real.
2: Dean, Seth, Roman, it's been my pleasure to have known you guys for a while now and worked with you down in the developmental uh, territory in NXT and it um, seems a bit odd though to be conducting this interview tonight under these circumstances. Uh, it was eight nights ago at Survivor Series. Uh, many people say that you can't- Many out. people? Who are these people? Michael if you got a question to ask us, just ask. Okay, are you three working directly for WWE Champion CM Punk? Nope. Okay, so if you're not working for Punk, then why are you guys here? That's the question, Michael. That's the question you should be asking. You see, we sat down in NXT and we saw things clearly, crystal clear, actually. You see, everybody around here has to answer to the likes of the Vicky Guerrero's and the Booker T's. And Vicky and Booker, they have to answer to the board of the directors. And the board of directors ultimately has to answer to the WWE universe, the almighty WWE universe. What is that, Michael? What is that? That's a popularity contest. And that's not Right. That's wrong, Michael. We saw things heading in the wrong direction. We stepped in and righted those wrongs. Michael, we are a shield from injustice in WWE. Okay, come on, guys. There's no denying that everything you've done so far has benefited CF Punk. Michael, it's coincidence, happenstance. You ever heard of it? It's not about benefiting punk, it's about right and wrong. CM Punk, the WWE Champion, was forced to defend his title in a triple threat match against two guys he had already defeated. That's wrong. So we stepped in. If it had been Ryback or Cena, we'd done the same thing. If Ryback was champion for 365 days and Punk tried to ruin his party, we would have intervened on Ryback's behalf. 365 days as champion in this era, that's a huge milestone. That should be celebrated, right? Uh, Roman, uh, I'd love to get your take on all this. When I want to say something, I'll say it. Look, well, Cole, we see what you're getting, okay? We hear everything you guys are saying. We read everything that's being written, okay? We know what you guys are thinking, but we're not renegades. We're not mercenaries. We're not the Nexus. If you're looking for the NWO, go buy the DVD. We're about principles. We're about honor. Where honor no longer exists, we're gonna step in. It's like he said. We're shield from injustice. Yeah. We're shield from injustice. We are the shield. Okay, so hey, hey. Ch- I got something to say.
0: We've said enough. This interview's over, man.
1: So we quickly, re- we quickly, quickly learn, easy enough for me to say that they are anything but a rebel rebels without a cause. And it's so weird to see Roman Reigns, you know, nine years ago, at this time, or quickly 10 years ago, if, if you fast forward six months from now, it will be 10 years ago, since this interview was done, or less than six months. And seeing Roman Reigns as kind of just like the big muscle guy in the background, anything but the mouthpiece. And it's crazy to sh- see how far he has grown. Dean Ambrose was kind of like the front man in the early going. You had Seth Rollins, who was kind of the high flyer, Roman Reigns, who was the powerhouse. And they checked all the boxes. They were the shield of injustice. And that line, that caught me. And I'm sure it caught a lot of people because these guys were over instantly. And obviously, their first match was... Uh, absolute home run a three on three uh, match against Kane Ryback and Daniel Bryan at the TLC pay-per-view in a TLC match I would highly suggest you guys go watch that they absolutely knocked it out of the park it was an incredible in-ring debut they defeated those three men and I think that their debut in the ring their debut on television and their first promo Alt, all grouped into one is arguably the best debut for a group or a faction or even a competitor that I have ever seen. And these guys were like stars. They felt relevant right away. And obviously, the booking had a lot to do with that. You know, they said they weren't working directly for CM Punk. We would later get revealed that Paul Heyman was trying to work with them behind the scenes they interview they intervened rather on behalf of punk against the rock at the royal rumble in 2013 when the lights went out and triple powerbomb the rock through the announce table and vince mcmahon would come out and kind of help the rock give him another title match quickly thereafter but these guys were right on front and center right off the bat wrestlemania they defeat randy orton sheamus and the big show in a three-on-three match Later on that year, they would face off against their respective counterparts in the tag team division and the U.S. championship. Dean Ambrose would win the U.S. championship. Reigns and Rollins would win the tag team titles. And they were walking around with a bunch of gold right away. And it was also the way that they would carry themselves away from the ring and the promos backstage that would often become synonymous with them. And the type of promos that they would give behind the scenes and in the backstage area is something that made this group so damn unique.
2: Attention! Monday night. Now there's a wrong moment that nobody's going to forget anytime soon, especially the champ, John Cena. Oh, you can't see. I don't think that thing works anymore. You see, you just on your back, under our boots. You know who else saw you fight on your back, John? Ryback. He watched you as we dropped you from the sky. and still over you. And a lot of you guys out there, you're probably wondering, why didn't Ryback help John Cena? Ryback figured it out. Ryback knows how justice feels. Self-preservation. He doesn't want any more of our trouble. He doesn't want to feel justice anymore. In fact, the look on Rybeck's face on Monday, that's the same look we all saw on the face of The Undertaker. Two weeks ago, when he was surrounded by the shield. Look, you can't fool us. I was standing three feet from The Undertaker. I looked right into his eyes. I know what I saw. We all saw it. It was fear. The Undertaker was afraid. The Undertaker was terrified. The Undertaker was surrounded by the Shield, and he was scared to death. He's never been so relieved, so happy to see his brother Kane and his little buddy. Yo, know, you may be a legend to some, you may be undefeated at WrestleMania, but the Shield is undefeated, period. The Undertaker is not immortal, and this Monday on Raw, we prove that. Twenty run this place but there comes a time for even legends to be pushed aside and your time is up the of justice run this yard now big dog. believe in the shield believe that dead man
1: so they would they would kind of broadcast in a way that they were holding uh, their own camera. And it kind of was reminiscent of, you know, in the scene in the Dark Knight Rises, when the Joker is filming himself when he has the fake Batman tied up, and he has he's walking around with like a camcorder. It was kind of that kind of vibe. And obviously, they were like portrayed to be as dark as the maniac Joker was. But It was that kind of vibe that WWE was giving off when we would see these types of clips of the shield behind the scenes. And they were just a group that were kind of like the Swiss army knife for whatever WWE needed them to be. When they got their hands on the tag titles, they started feuding with uh, the Brotherhood, Cody Rhodes and Goldust and then quickly became like the heavies for the authority. You know, when they first formed and they had Randy Orton as kind of like the modern day version of the corporate champion. And there's that cool image of like the shield guarding the ring with each of them holding a title belt. And, you know, that worked well for a bit when they were used as guys to like beat up on the big show, the heavies for Triple H and Randy Orton. And then they were kind of used to try and beat down on CM Punk when he came back and turned babyface ahead of his match or his program against Brock Lesnar, or right after his program with Brock Lesnar, rather. And then we started to see WWE test the waters on how this group would feel if you teased a breakup and if you teased them as babyfaces. And the breakup we had a bit over the course of the winter of 2014 but that quickly got pulled back on because i don't think wwe or the fans were ready for that but the first time we got to see them in kind of placed as a babyface role was when they collided with another three-man group that was red hot and on the ascent in the way of the wyatt family and the wyatt family full-blown heels no way that you could ever position those guys to be babyfaces But in regards to the shield, like they were damn cool. Like they were heels and they were rebels and they were mercenaries, but they were cool. They were badass. Like the way that they would come out through the ring come out through the crowd. The entrance music felt very attitude era esque. the the tactical gear, the gloves, you know, the Under Armour underneath the tactical gear. It was so damn cool. So the first time we got to see them go toe-to-toe with the Wyatt family, it wasn't that hard to get behind them. And, the, and this was um, no uh, WWE commentating at this point because it wasn't an, an unseen footage. This was in November. Um, but uh, like you could tell the crowd was ready for it. two of the hottest groups in WWE at the time. And the shield almost just became de facto baby faces because of it. And nothing would really come from this. Like, they would brawl a few times. They had a three-on-three match at Monday Night Raw later on in uh, in 2014. But I was kind of surprised that WWE didn't explore this program more with the Shield as baby faces Because you really had something here that was working. You had something that the crowd wanted to see. And I think you could have made it into like a multi-pay-per-view type of feud. But obviously, I think they saw Bray Wyatt as more of a single star. He went on to that WrestleMania to face off against John Cena. And The Shield would actually go to that WrestleMania and face Kane and the New Age Outlaws. Which is when we really first started to see The Shield teeter on the brink of becoming babyfaces. But they still were positioned as heels. As the night following Monday Night Raw, they get instructions from CEO Triple H that he's going to be in a match against Daniel Bryan for the World Heavyweight Championship, and that they were instructed to back him. And it was on this night during this match, the Monday Night Raw, right after WrestleMania 30, that we would finally get the full turn to the babyface side of the Shield. So, an instant babyface turn by backing Daniel Bryan, the most over guy in the company at that time. It was an easy win for WWE as they wanted to get the shield on the babyface side. And that's exactly what they did. Just a great moment on Monday Night Raw. And we saw one of the more over groups on the heel side just completely slide into the babyface column. And they would go on to face evolution at back-to-back pay-per-views at Extreme Rules and Payback. And then following Payback, we would get the infamous heel turn of Seth Rollins when he would stab his brothers in the back with a steel chair, quite literally, or smack them in the back. And that would be the breakup of The Shield, at least in the immediate future. And the Shield's initial run accomplished exactly what you want, right? You created three single stars. You had Seth Rollins, who instantly became probably the main heel in the company, with the exception of Brock Lesnar. But Brock Lesnar was world quickly became world champion at SummerSlam of that year and wasn't always there. You had Roman Reigns, at least in the eyes of WWE, try and get pushed as the top babyface. And Dean Ambrose kind of got lost in the shuffle, but I will say that he was probably the most over at this point, because he was the guy that was so clearly the odd man out in the eyes of WWE, and quickly became a very good mid-card guy, and in my opinion, should have been pushed as the top babyface right out of the gate. WrestleMania rolls around, you have Dean Ambrose involved in the seven-man ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship. Roman Reigns face-off against Brock Lesnar in the main event and the most historic cash-in in the history of the Money in the Bank briefcase, the heist of the century, as Michael Cole coined it, as Seth Rollins becomes the first member of the Shield to become world champion. They would stay apart for just about three and a half years with each of them getting their respective runs with the world title. Roman Reigns, I believe, getting two or three runs with it. Seth Rollins getting two, uh, Dean Ambrose getting a world championship run as he kind of became the face of SmackDown in the initial version of SmackDown Live when they brought back the brand split. And it was right around 2017, a little more than three years, when we get to see this group finally back together.
0: outnumber but the but the Ambrose Rollins and Reigns are circling just like they used to it. here comes Rollins Ambrose and Roman Reigns and a battle's underway just like this oh. no, we gotta see it oh.
1: Exclamation point. The wrath of Lawrence, Ambrose, and Reigns. So we would see the shield get back together just for a short bit as unfortunately um, it wouldn't last all too long. As they would quickly disband after this, I remember Roman Reigns got uh, busted for, uh, what was it, performance enhancing drugs, and wasn't able to compete in this match, and Kurt Angle would actually take his place at, I believe it was, it wasn't Survivor Series, it's one after, but um, they would disband again, but we would get to see them get one more, oh, and another thing was, I've completely forgot about this, is that Dean Ambrose would actually get hurt. And he would be out for just about six or seven months. So you had the suspension of Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose getting hurt. That really kind of put the whole brakes on this entire Shield reunion in 2017. But we would get to see this group back together one more time a few years later when we would see the Shield come to the aid of their brother, Roman Reigns.
0: It's, it's right, over the top right. What a-
1: So they come out completely obliterate Braun Strowman before he could cash in. And this would kind of be the last run of the shield as we saw them feud with Braun Strowman, Drew McIntyre, Dolph Ziggler. Obviously, they would break up once again following Roman Reigns' cancer diagnosis in late 2018. And then when he would return in early 2019, they would have one final feud against McIntyre, Baron Corbin, and Bobby Lashley. And this would kind of ride Dean Ambrose off into the sunset as well, as he would leave WWE shortly after WrestleMania, if I'm not mistaken, in 2019. And uh, this would be all you, all she wrote for the Shield, and probably for the foreseeable future, as obviously Dean Ambrose now John Moxley over in AEW. And the th- you have Roman Reigns off doing the Bloodline gimmick with the Tribal Chief, Seth Rollins, doing whatever he's doing over on Monday Night Raw. And they're all kind of separated. And maybe one day if Dean Ambrose, John Moxley decides to come back, we'll see them one more time. But we certainly got a good fix of The Shield. Two reunions following their initial run that ended in 2014. And much like Evolution... The Shield accomplished exactly what you want factions to accomplish, creating single stars. And I would argue that over the last five, six, seven years, there have been no bigger stars in WWE than Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. And even when Dean Ambrose was in there, I think they misutilized him, but I think he could have been a perfect top baby face and a guy that I'm sure they're sad that they let get away and hopefully one day he'll come back. But nevertheless, the shield was an overwhelming success. And with the exception of evolution, could very well be the best faction of the last two decades. Anyway, guys, that's all I got for you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode covering The Shield. As always, you can get me on Twitter at Adamarko25. You can get Matt on Twitter at Wrestling underscore Audio, or you can email him each and every week for the WWE mailbag. Anyway, guys, I'll talk to you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the WWE Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show or head to wwepodcast.com. And for all of these shows ad-free, head over to patreon.com slash WWE podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time.